Thank you so much. If you'd find in your Bibles, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. And, excuse me, Romans chapter 11. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12, Romans 11. I hope, church, that you know how blessed we are, how the Lord uses our praise band. If you've come here in a bad mood, maybe you're focused on something that's happening, focus on yourself, something happened in this world. Uh, they help us so that we might be focused on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so how about... Uh, we applaud how the Lord has used our praise band today. We are very thankful to be able to come. But you're, you're here. We're glad you're here. Thank you for coming today. Always good to see you. and uh, good, Had a good first service today as well. And we're glad that you have come. We, this is uh, Team Jesus Sunday. Encourage you to wear to your, your team colors. And uh, we know that uh, we're a diverse group, of course, but we're all on the same team. So it's a fun fellowship, but also reminding us that we are one in Christ, and a good time maybe to invite others and be able to say that, uh, of course, most of you wear your team colors, particularly when we're winning. Most of you wear your team colors most Sundays, but it's okay. But as I was walking through the parking lot this morning, sun was coming up, and uh, so took a picture of what it looked like, reminding us that uh, God's favorite colors are still orange and blue, and that's okay. But uh, <laughs> I almost got applause there, didn't it? But yeah. Uh, uh, of course, Lord, we like an SEC win every now and then, but uh, we're all in fun. We really recognize and understand. We're taking a break from our regular uh, series we've been working through, and uh, uh, hopefully under the Holy Spirit's direction to be able to talk about Israel, past, present, and future. This is the second installment of talking about. We talked primarily about Israel's past. Today we're going to talk about the present and then more the future, but you recognize it's hard to talk about any of those without talking about all of those at the same time, but uh, we will be talking about Israel uh, today as we work our way through, letting you know once again, this is not a political statement that we are making whatsoever. We're not giving you new news that you can get uh, on the internet or any kind of news station or channel. No, we're seeking to be biblical. We want to understand what God's Word says today and every day, which help us to interpret things that are happening in this world and around us, happening in the uh, Middle East and uh, recognizing that God is uh, always at work. And, uh, and so hopefully it draws our attention uh, to Him that this will always and even what's happening in the world will cause us to want to be in God's Word even more, want to be in His house, be able to learn from one another as well. But this now is the Word of God, Romans chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets, they've demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time, there's a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. 
Now, if the trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? May the Lord bless the reading of His Holy Word today. Well, since it is uh, Teen Jesus Sunday, let me use uh, this illustration. Maybe you'll recognize uh, this picture, a future Hall of Famer, quarterback, one-time Super Bowl champ, and... Uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers, last year, you recognize him, I guess, played for the Packers. Anybody wearing Packers today? Nobody? Okay. Well, here's a picture of Aaron Rodgers today, or maybe this year. Anyone a Jets fan? Four plays in the new season with a new team, and Rodgers is out for the year. Jet fans have not been happy. I understand there have been some dissension among the team members, expectations and great potential loss so quickly, not to mention some fans maybe. Losses begin to pile up. Tough year to be a Jets fan. Well, it's tough for some people to be a fan of Israel. Obviously, everybody is not. We've talked about Israel's past and how God has chosen this nation to be God's people to make himself known. In the past, they've been far from obedient, but God kept his promise, the promise that he made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob as well as Moses and to David. But if there's one truth that is clear in the Bible and is punctuated in this particular chapter is that God is trustworthy. We can trust him above and for all things. In fact, we can recognize that the definition of truth and what is true today is found in God. It's found in His Word and the Word that we hold before us to today as well. We need to go to God's promises again and again and claim them for our very own. This chapter will declare that trustworthiness. It reveals the nation of Israel today. God promised Abraham, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. You will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God made this unconditional a covenant, which is a promise to Abraham, that his descendants would be blessed and would be a blessing to this world. Already we've discovered in Romans chapter 9 that it tells us that all those who are true descendants of Abraham are true descendants because they are spiritual sons and daughters by faith. Here in Romans 11, though God is not through with the physical descendants of Abraham, his covenant with them is trustworthy. God has not forgotten them. They are physical descendants. 1948, Israel is brought back to possess some of their own land again. They become an independent, recognized state, an independent nation among the world. Many point to that date, May 14th, 1948, just over 75 years ago, as a fulfillment of prophecy. Well, that may be true. That may be a fulfillment of some prophecy. But I am sure and I know and understand from God's word that it is the Jewish people individually coming to know Christ as their Lord and Savior is the ultimate fulfillment of prophecy. The Jewish nation will never be saved as a nation, but they will only be saved as individuals as they put their faith in Jesus. Well, it's okay. You may be asking today, what difference does it really make to me and why should I be interested in what God has planned for the descendants of Abraham? Well, you understand that God made a choice and he made a choice to reveal himself and to reveal his story, which is history in the people of Israel. But also because if we learn from this passage today and we're going to learn that God's going to remain true and trustworthy, particularly to Israel. And if he is not forgetting Israel, we can know that he's never going to forget us. 
He's not through working in Israel. He's not through working in the hearts and lives of people everywhere. If you've got your Bibles open, you might glance at the very last chapter in, verse, in chapter 10. Last, last verse in chapter 10. We read chapter first few verses of chapter 11. But in chapter 10 and verse 21, Israel is called a disobedient and contrary people. This is significant because if God is trustworthy, we recognize that He loves all people, still loves you and me, even though we fail. So today we're going to walk through three periods of history. We'll go back to the time of Paul and writing, understand what Paul is writing here. Paul's going to take us on a journey back to the time of Elijah, and then we'll be brought back to the time of today and making application for today concerning Israel in the present time as well as concerning God's church and God's people in the present time as well as the future. The question that uh, Romans chapter 11 seeks to answer has God forgotten Israel? Has God rejected Israel? Have they been cast aside because of their rejection of Jesus Christ? It's a chapter I want to pay a great deal of attention to because as students of the Bible, we should naturally become interested in the nation of Israel. Again, the framework of God's working in human history is centered in the people of Israel. Chapter 11, verse 2, we read it a moment ago. It says, and Paul declares, God has not rejected his people. Now, people who like to travel some, travel abroad, maybe to other countries that people like to do it for many reasons, sometimes just for fun and enjoyment, maybe even relaxation. Some people like to go back maybe to where their ancestors were and they like to be able to maybe see where they were from and those kinds of things. And a lot of people like to travel. A lot of believers, Christians, want to travel to the Holy Land. Some go again and again and again so that they might be able to go where Jesus was, but also because of the Israelite people. If you're going to be a student of the Bible, you want to learn to be a student of Israel, the people of Israel and its heritage. Also, if you're interested in the end times, just kind of why would we be interested in these particular chapters, particularly chapter 11, because as we move on in chapter 11, it's going to talk about the end times. But if you love to talk about, oh, the battle of Armageddon stuff, and you like to talk about the fact that we know Jesus is coming back again, what the rapture is like, and you're intrigued to hear uh, about all of these last time things, then you want to learn about the future that the Bible talks about when it comes to Israel because it teaches us what's going to happen to the church. And we'll talk more about that next week. But for now, in order to learn about the present situation of Israel, Paul takes us back on a journey. Come along with me as we go back and Paul begins to talk about the first talk about the past in the time of the 850 BC, the time of Elijah. You've got your notes, hopefully you're able to follow along here. 900 years before Paul wrote the book of Romans, Paul quotes and he talks about the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19. In 1 Kings chapter 18, it had not rained for three and a half years. There was a famine in the land. But even the greater tragedy was not the famine of no rain, but it was the spiritual famine that was taking place. The nation had turned from God to turn to worship of false gods under the rule of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Now those are names that you probably recognize if you've been in worship services probably in the last few weeks or months. We've talked about Ahab and Jezebel. They are synonymous with wickedness and evil. They did the kinds of things that we're hearing about that are happening in the Middle East and other parts of the world today. Elijah, the long prophet of God, had a showdown on Mount Carmel, invited all the Israelites to come. It was Elijah, the long prophet, versus 850 of the false 
prophets of the God Baal, B-A-A-L. And Elijah told the people, said, it's time that you stop straddling the fence. It's the time that you come and that you worship God and only one God. The God who sends fire today will be the only God. They both prepared an altar. 850 false prophets prepared an altar and a sacrifice. And they called upon their God beginning early in the morning and called upon Him all day. They danced before their God. They cut themselves. Called upon their God to send fire upon the altar. But there was no answer. Then Elijah, the lone prophet of God, he comes to the altar. He prepares a sacrifice. He takes lots of water and he soaks the sacrifice. He does it not once, not twice, but three times. It soaks so that there's water that's filling the troughs around the sacrifice. At 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at the time of the evening prayers and sacrifice, he calls upon God. And God sends fire down upon the altar. The Bible says it consumed not only the sacrifice, but also the wood that was on the altar, the stones. Twelve stones have been prepared for the twelve tribes of Israel. The stones were consumed. All of the dust and the dirt around the altar, and certainly all of the water. Then the Bible says that all the people bowed down and they proclaimed, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. 1 Kings 18 tells of that dramatic example of God's power and that the 850 false prophets were killed. But that wasn't the end of that story. We read, and we're going to read together from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4. Where it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. The Bible says that after this, Elijah walked 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness until he came to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. God spoke to him in that mountain. 1 Kings 19, 13 and following says, Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Then the Lord answered, the Lord said, among other things, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. In your notes, you have a question, how many Israelites kept faith in Elijah's day? 7,000. Elijah at that moment was not mad necessarily at Jezebel or Ahab, but was praying against the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 11, verse 2, where we read a moment ago, Elijah prayed against Israel. He thought he was the only one left, but God had been at work in other people's lives. Elijah was wrong. He's only wrong by 7,000, but he was wrong. God always has a remnant of people who love him, a remnant of people whose lives he is always at work. Paul used this story of Elijah as an illustration to describe that God can always be trusted. So could it be that sometimes we're wrong when we're discouraged thinking that all is lost or we're the only ones left? No one really cares when this world we live in seems to have forsaken God or it seems maybe that God is forsaking us. This is ever your thinking. You're mistaken. God's at work in the lives and the hearts of people today. In a day of spiritual decay, Elijah discovered God had not forgotten Israel. 
nor had he forgotten Elijah. When the future doesn't seem to look bright, when things seem to be falling apart, focus on the goodness of God. When Elijah needed a word from the Lord, God told him to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. And there on the mountain, Elijah, he felt the wind that was powerful enough to break rock. He experienced earthquake underneath his feet. He was able and he saw the powerful fire of God, but God was not in any of those. God's voice was not any of those. And then he heard God. Heard God is what is described as the whisper of God or a still small voice. And he told him he was not alone. When you need a voice from the Lord, focus on God's goodness. And know that you're not forgotten. He does not forget. He reminds you you are not alone. Not only is he, is he at work, he speaks to you. He wants to speak to you. And sometimes it's going to be a still, small voice. And we need to pay attention long enough or sit still long enough to be able to hear the word from God. Sometimes it's going to be from God's word, the written word. Sometimes it is because of the voice of Jesus or the example that Jesus has given us. Sometimes and always it will be through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes through people, even circumstances. And you need to know that he's at work in the lives also of people that are around you. That he's at work to bring those who are far away close to him to use people so that you might be influenced positively as well. So now Paul brings us back up in history, 900 years to the time of this writing, A.D. 50 to the time of Paul. A.D. 50 to the time of Paul. And he says in verse 5, at this present time, he talked about Elijah in verse 5. He makes the switch to this time. It's like in Elijah's day. There's a remnant. And he's speaking specifically to Jewish Christians, those who have placed their faith and they believe in Jesus as the Messiah. They've accepted Jesus as the Lord. Now remember, Paul's answering the question, does God reject or forget his people? Does he cast aside his people or his promise? Do you remember at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit had come upon the 120 believers and uh, Peter stood up and spoke and by the time Pentecost, the day was over 3,000 came to know Christ. Then two chapters later, again, we have Peter speaking after the healing that had taken place, a crowd had gathered. Then it says that there were 5,000 who were followers of Jesus. For by the time of Paul's writing, there's an estimated 20,000 Jewish Christians who had become followers in Paul's day who were scattered around the Roman Empire as Christianity began to spread. These were the remnant of true Israelites. But they were not only the physical descendants of Abraham, they were now the spiritual descendants, the sons and daughters because of the faith in Jesus Christ. Paul tells us God does not reject his people. Paul, a fellow Israelite, he says, I at one time was disobedient and contrary. I am now a follower of Jesus. He tells very specifically how they are the remnant. It's because of the divine grace of God. Read again verse 6, Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, to where it says, And if by grace, then it is no longer by works. If it were, gra if it were grace would no longer be grace. What an odd kind of verse. Grace defines itself. It is not grace if it is by works. It's only grace if it's grace. Paul has taught us something about the election of grace. That is, that if we're saved, God gets the credit. It's not by our doing. He's chosen to initiate the contact, invite us into his kingdom to be a part of his work. Yes, 
we must have faith, but it's by grace through faith we are saved. We do not deserve his salvation, but he gives it away anyway. 1777, the Continental Army was freezing, starving, and barely existing in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. The Continental Congress sent out word to all the patriots. Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of General Washington and the army in his field. Mainly, they wanted financial assistance, and they promised eventually to repay the loans with interest. One of those who responded was a fellow by the name of Jacob DeHaven. He was a Philadelphia businessman, wealthy man, that sent $450,000 to the Continental Congress, pretty much everything that he had, uh, everything that he owned. He spent that, sent that much in gold and supplies. Washington's army, as you know, did survive, of course, that winter and went on to win freedom for the American colonies from Great Britain. Jacob de Haven, who gave his fortune, died childless and in poverty in 1812 and was buried in an unmarked grave in Swedeland, Pennsylvania. And he never did receive any payment for his loans. But, his, uh, but the descendants of his brothers and sisters want the money back. In fact, they have filed a lawsuit a class action lawsuit in the United States Claims Court for the $450,000 loan plus 6% interest for 245 years, all based on the promise that the Continental Congress made in 1777. The figure is estimated that, they, that we owe the DeHaven family $150 billion. Well, good luck on getting that. Hey, I just suddenly remembered, I think I'm a descendant of the DeHaven family somewhere. Jesus Christ assumed a tremendous debt for us, and the debt was death, was death. And not just any death, but the death of the Son of God. He paid the debt with his life, and he'll never demand repayment. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That is marvelous grace. It is magnificent love. Some religious church folks spend their life trying to pay God back. First, we never could pay God back, but it's not what he asks of you. Paul says what God has given you is either grace or it is of works. It is not both. And God does not owe Israel anything. The fact that he does not forget Israel is a picture of God's love. It reminds us he does not forget any people, any nation, any individual. So here's the lesson from A.D. 50, the time of Paul. Depend on God's grace, that undeserved Merit. Through the Apostle Paul's writings, we, we've gone to the past of the Old Testament, 850 years before Christ, the time of Elijah, and we can know that we're never alone. God can be trusted. Israel needs to trust God and put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Today, may all of us focus on the goodness of God. We've been brought now and looked at the time of the Apostle Paul and noted that it is because of God's grace that Israel's not forgotten. We can depend on God's grace. Now let's move to the present, A.D. 2023, the time of the New Testament church. Paul tells us more about Israel today. It is said that the Greeks sought for knowledge, the Romans sought for power, and the Israelites or the Jewish people sought for righteousness. But did you notice in verse 7 that we read a moment ago, it says that they did not receive what they were looking for. 
what they were looking for they have not attained. Like today in the time of Paul, most of the Jewish people have not accepted Jesus. The cross is a stumbling stone. They're dull to the things of God. Like many other people in the world today who have their eyes blinded in their ears that cannot hear. You may have people whom you are praying for. You may have people that you're praying for that, like this chapter says, that they're blind to the truth about Christ. They are deaf to the good news of Jesus. That, uh, does that mean that God has forgotten them? No way. He's still at work. Paul says of the Jews, their rejection has opened the gospel to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, well, that's everybody that is not Jewish. Probably the majority of us then that it's talking about. You and me, you've been blessed even though the Jews rejected Christ. If anything, it opened the door more quickly to the New Testament church. And he goes on to say, how much more will you be blessed, will the church be blessed, when the Jews accept Christ? Paul's painting a picture. Maybe he sees a, he sees a vision or he's foretelling what's going to take place in the future. And that is more and more Jewish people coming to Jesus for salvation in the future. We, we already see it happening today. The question in your notes is how many Jewish people are in the world today? There's an estimated over 15, 15.2 million people scattered around the world. Most the the greatest uh, concentration of Jewish people is in Israel, of course, and also in the United States. Interesting that before World War II, there were 17 million Jews on this earth, and by the end of that time, there were 11 million Jews. But in the 20th century, in the first part of the 21st century, it appears, and we understand, there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Jewish people who have accepted Christ as their true Messiah and have become born-again believers. How many uh, people living in the world today? Well, that one you probably could answer. We've hit the 8 billion mark recently. How many does God forget? How many does He give up on? Zero. Not any. Joseph Rabinowitz, Russian Jew of much learning, was sent to the land of Palestine in order to be able to buy some land. And On his journey, he decided to go to Jerusalem. Then he went up to the Mount of Olives to rest. Somebody had given him a New Testament that might help him as a guide while he was there in the Holy Land, and uh, there in that area of the world. While he's on the Mount of Olives, he opened up the New Testament and began to read him, and began to read about the Christ that the Old Testament prophesied as the Messiah. He says in his own words that his heart became warm. As he's reading, he began to contemplate and came to the conviction that it's because that his people are persecuted and feel cast out because we put to death our Messiah. And he lifted his eyes and he said, My Lord and my God, he came down the Mount of Olives, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went back to Russia. He built a new synagogue. And on the top of the door of the synagogue, he wrote this verse from Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It is further proof that God does not cast away his people. It's also proof God's hand began on the Jewish people, but his love extends to people like you and me. And once we come into the family, he never lets us go. Nothing can snatch us out of the hand of God. And God does not give up on people. So here, here's our third lesson from our journey back today. And it's this, be thankful for God's grasp. 
for his great love, the love that never stops, the grasp that never lets go. It's far-reaching, and it includes you and me. It means nobody is beyond hope. Nobody is a lost cause. And it's okay to start telling people. So, when you're discouraged, focus on the goodness of God. When you're weary, depend upon the grace of God. And when you feel defeated, be thankful for God's far-reaching grasp. So let's ask the question. Is our God, speaking of believers in Jesus, and the God of Israel, the same God? The answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that there is only one God, uppercase G, the same God who called Abraham, promised the patriarchs as well as Moses and David, a Savior would be born as the same God who saved you and me. He's the God that we know as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. All other gods, small g, lowercase, are not really God. But also in answering that question, we would have to say no when we realize unless a Jew or anyone who's not believed in Jesus as the Messiah is not placing their faith in the God of the Bible. Even the most zealous Orthodox Jew like Paul before conversion worships self-righteousness and human achievement until they find Jesus. We understand today that there are many who are Jewish people by heritage, whether they're living in the United States or whether they're living in Israel or any other part of the world, and many of those that are Jewish by heritage, they have no faith, no religion whatsoever, not practicing But even those who are part of a religious practice focus on religion and ritual and not a relationship with God. I say this not to put them down, but so that we might be able to understand that they have a need for Jesus, who is the way and the only way. Jewish people who are not placing their faith in Christ today, it's for the same reason that they did not follow Jesus 2,000 years ago when he was here in the flesh and he died on the cross and three days later he rose again. It's because they are not focused on a Messiah or a relationship, but on doing works. Now, you do need to understand that I am not an expert in Judaism whatsoever. And others could argue probably something different. But if you ask a practicing Jewish person if there's still a Messiah to come, that is because if they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, aren't they looking for another Messiah? You might have a hard time getting an answer. But if you press and push them, they might be able to say, yeah, I guess there is still maybe a Messiah to come. But that's not what is important. It is their religious practice. But like the Apostle Paul, in God himself, we love and stand with Israel and pray for their salvation. So what can you do to help Israel? Well, you can live for Jesus and share Jesus. Living for Jesus, a transformed life will cause others to want Jesus also. Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, we read through verse 12. Look at verse 13 and 14. It says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will your acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, don't see that word jealous as necessarily in this context as a terrible thing. Paul writes to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? He's writing to us. The rejection of Christ by the Jewish people opened the door for you and me to become followers of Jesus. And as followers of Christ, 
it becomes evident. God sure must love us every bit as much as he loves Israel. May they desire God's love. And if in us they see a life transformed because of our encounter with Christ, if they see in us that we're going, we love one another, if they see in us that we are seeking to be a faithful people, that we are seeking to be even faithful during the most difficult of times, and they see in us a peace that surpasses all understanding regardless of what's happening in this world or our world, they will want what we have. At least that's Paul's contention. It's his motivation. But hear me on this. A life that claims Jesus is Lord but is not growing in love, obedience, and faithfulness might have the opposite effect. Unloving, unfaithful Christians do more harm to Christianity than the greatest wickedness or evil in this world. Oh, I've, I've thought about how much I need to emphasize this. Unloving, unfaithful Christians do more harm to Christianity and bring more people into the faith than do any terrorist who has ever lived. We need to share Jesus. Notice what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. If you'll go back one chapter, verses 14 and 15. And he says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Don't be put off by that word preacher. It simply means a herald, one who shares. How will they call upon Jesus if we're not telling people the truth about Jesus? These are good things to talk about maybe. How many Jewish people you know? Few? None? Well, there's a ripple effect. Because whoever you tell about Jesus might tell somebody else about Jesus. And then they might tell somebody else. And then they so on and so forth. But if you and I don't tell, chances become even slimmer that Jewish people or others will know. Or uh, message from the text today and Teen Jesus Sunday, kind of intersecting here. Many of you know the story of Chet Williams, the uh, Auburn University chaplain, Auburn University football team chaplain. In his book, Hard Fighting Soldier, he tells about when he was a freshman at Auburn University. On the field, he was aggressive and intimidating, the kind of player that any team would want. But off the field, his personality did not change. He was mean, bitter, angry, and scary. Even his own teammates were scared of him. By sophomore year, Coach Dye had threw him off the team because of his attitude and his actions off the field. Kyle Collins, an Auburn running back from 82 to 85, told his teammates in the FCA meeting, Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, that he was going, pray for Chet. All the guys said, don't waste your breath. Pray for somebody else who have hope. Don't pray for Chet. That guy is a lost cause. Pray for somebody who has hope. But for two years, Kyle prayed for Chet. And on the day after Coach Dye threw him off the team, he came and knocked on Kyle's door, and he asked Kyle, what does he have to do to be saved and become a Christian? Kyle that day told him 
what it was to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day he asked Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. Early the next morning, Chet knocked on Kyle's door one more time with one more question. He said, can I start telling people that I'm a Christian now? Paul's message is, God loves Israel and they are not without hope. It's God loves you. Hope is found in Jesus. There's no one that you have run into, no one that you've encountered that does not have hope that's found in Jesus. From Psalm 22 and verse 6, maybe you've seen it printed and maybe you've used it as well. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the peace of all Jerusalem, for Israel. We pray for the people of Gaza. We pray, yes, that there might be an end to war, a war everywhere, an end to violence. But primarily, we're praying that that may come from inner peace because of an encounter with the one who is the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we recognize that you are at work always. We thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans, these inspired words that would remind us that God does not reject his people. God has not rejected us. We are thankful, Father, that those who have those of us who are now become spiritual descendants of faith, placed our faith in the Lord Jesus, that we can rely upon you. We thank you that we can remember your goodness and your grace and your grasp that you have upon us. Father, may we be reminded of that today. May it help us with whatever we're facing today personally. May it help us with what we see happening in the world today. Father, we pray and know that pray for the peace of Jerusalem, peace of Israel, all people in that region, that they may come and know the one who is the Prince of Peace. Pray today, together, we lift that up, that you may do a great work, may point the world towards you even more so. Whether these are the beginning of the end times or just signs of the times, Father, we want to trust in you. And we want to be on your side. And we thank you that you have brought us there. May it increase our faith. We also pray, Father, for those here today or someone listening today, if they don't know you as Lord and Savior, may no one believe that they are without hope or that they've been rejected. May it be today because you've allowed them to hear the good news of your word, know that God loves them, and today they can receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Even now, Father, may they be praying, asking Christ to forgive of all sin, asking Jesus to be Savior and Lord and believe and place their faith in Him for today and for all eternity. Thank you, Father, for how you continue to be at work. It's in the precious name of the Lord Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing our song of commitment today. It may be that you need to decide there's a commitment you need to make in your life. Maybe it is to commit your heart and life to Jesus for the very first time, asking Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Maybe it is that you need to commit as a believer in the Lord Jesus that you're going to follow him even more closely that even your life makes a difference in the things that are happening not only right around the people that are near you but even around the world because the Lord wants to use you he's chosen to use you it may be that you want to decide you want to commit to be a part of the Parkway Baptist Church family join today you can be a part of what we're doing the direction and vision that the Lord has for this church you just come let one of us know. We'll be standing down here worshiping along with you and you just come stand by our side and let us know and uh, we'll be glad to tell you the next steps. If you need to pray, 
pray for yourself, pray for lost people, whatever it is. Our altar is open. You can come and pray today or pray with one of us as we sing together. You make the commitment the Lord's leading you to make today.